So here we are, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Uh, this, is, this, will be our final, uh, this will be our final week in this series, and then we'll pick up the book of Romans again in, in the fall. Um, so looking at this passage, there's three things that we're going to look at. There's three things. Uh, the one thing is a universal problem. The second thing is a supernatural solution. And the third thing is an everlasting result. So from reading this passage and, and understanding what Paul is, is speaking about and what Paul is, is teaching here and what he's writing about, um, we will see those three things, a universal problem, a supernatural solution, and an everlasting result. So let's just jump right in. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. If you're new with us, um, there, you were handed a worship guide. In the worship guide, there's a study guide with a page number. That page number relates to Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you. You can grab that Bible, open to that page, follow along with us. Uh, if you don't, if there's no Bible in, in the chair in front of you, you can also follow along behind me here on the projector uh, for the scriptures and also for the points. So please feel free to do that. Also, just a reminder that we do have uh, an interactive note, um, note-taking uh, tool on our, on our app. So you can do that at the, with, with the, the church app that we have. So let's jump right in. Verse 12, it says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and just to clarify this, what, I'll stop right there. What, when the scripture uses one man, it's using it interchangeably for Adam and for Christ. So right now we're looking at Adam, the one man, Adam. So it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so let's just stop there. The first things that we have to ask ourselves is, what was the impact of Adam's sin? And we see that there in the first several scriptures, uh, or in the first verse, uh, by, by him saying that sin entered the world through Adam, and sin, I mean, and death through sin, okay? And then he says one more thing. He says, and death spread to all men. So the impact uh, that Adam's sin had on us was, number one, it allowed sin and death to enter into this world. And another thing is, who did it impact? Well, it impacted everybody. It says here that it spread to all men. We'll keep reading, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one, uh, of the one who was to come. So, verse 14. So now we see what was the impact of, of his actions, that sin and death entered the world, who was impacted? All humanity. All humanity was impacted. And how were we impacted? We were impacted because uh, we were impacted by the fact that sin and death now reigned over every single person. There's some interesting things going on here in, this, in these verses, and we're going to take a look at those because Paul is making a very clear declaration of the fact that Adam was our representative. And when Adam sinned, we all paid the consequence for that sin. And you see that in the book of Genesis. You see that even right after the creation story and the, and the, the, the story in the, of, of the garden. Uh, you see it after uh, Cain um, does what he does to his brother Abel. Well, then we see their genealogies. And in the genealogies, we start seeing all of these different names uh, who came after Adam and Seth because it's giving us the righteous line, okay? Know that, that the genealogies that they're giving you is the righteous line. They're not giving you the other line. They're giving you the righteous line. But even within the righteous line of Adam, Seth, and, uh, and, and Enoch, and Methuselah, and all of these other guys, they 
still experienced death, even though they were the righteous. Enoch being the one that, the one that you're still trying to figure out their name on, but, but everyone else experienced death. And if you read the genealogies, it's, it's, it's really interesting because it says, and this person lived this amount of time and they died. This person, this amount of time and died. If I ask you how many years did, uh, did uh, Methuselah live, how many did he live? Who can tell me? 969. So he lived 969 years. Can you imagine that? I think I'd be tired after the first hundred. What am I going to do after that? 969 years, but he died. Okay, so it's giving you the fact that that, that death entered this world and death was taking its people and everyone was experiencing death and that was because of Adam's sin. And it's interesting because in this passage in verse 14 it says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that their sinning was not like the transgression of Adam? Well, here it is. Adam had a direct commandment from God and that direct commandment was enjoy, enjoy the garden, cultivate it, eat from it. However, that one tree, just don't eat of that tree. Eve's deceived, so she takes it to Adam, and Adam takes the bite. And the men in here are like, oh, so it's Eve's fault. No. No, because again, we're talking about the one man. Anytime scripture talks about the fall of mankind with humanity, it says Adam. It doesn't say Eve. The responsible party is Adam. So Adam sins, and when he sins, again, he takes that bite of that apple, he disobeys of that apple, that fruit, and he disobeys God. And because of that disobedience, sin and death entered this world. So what's the difference between the, tra between the transgression that Adam had and others that lived after him was this. As you study the Bible, you realize that the commandments didn't come in, the law didn't come in until after Moses until Moses. So between Adam and Moses, there was no law. What does the law do? The law brings to light the sin within us. There was no direct command that these people were disobeying, transgressing against, but there was one man who did, and that was Adam. And so that direct transgression and that direct sin allowed uh, death and sin to reign in this world. So that's what verse 14, 13, and 14 is talking about. So here's, here's my first point for today. From birth, I am born into a kingdom of sin and death. From birth, I am born into a kingdom of sin and death. And so there's this kingdom. The word that's used over and over again is, is reign. And so it's talking about the effect that sin and death are having in this world. Uh, humanity were slaves to sin and death, and no one could escape that. No one could escape that except for through God's miraculous work, right? And so it was raining, and, and, and every single person in this world, when we are born into this world, we're born into sin. We're born in sin, we're born into sin. And I know that at times you might say, well, that sounds unfair, how could I be held accountable for something that I didn't do? How could I be held accountable for something that happened without me being even, even being there? And, and that could be a valid argument until you understand the truth. And today, hopefully, we will understand that. So when you walk away from here, that it's unfair will be changed. And you'll say, thank God. 
he did what he did. Thank goodness he stepped in the way he did. But the truth of the matter is, that's one of the greatest arguments against God. Well, that's not fair. It's not fair. And church, let me say something. The gospel is not fair. The gospel isn't meant to be fair. There's nothing fair about the gospel. Nothing. And for us to to think that God has to do things the way we would think is best, then we think we're God and we think we're better than God. And we have to be careful with that. Isaiah says it best. He says that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. And thank you, Lord, that that's true. Because you're God and I'm not. I am a finite being in desperate need of an infinite being who would save me. So why would I think that I would know what's best? So it's true. You might say it's unfair. But, you know, David, even David understood this, this truth. And David in Psalm 51.5, he said this, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mo- did my mother conceive me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So every person that's born into this world is born with this problem, with this universal problem of sin and death. Every single say, well, I don't know that I believe that because, I, you know, some, some, some of us might think that, that babies are born innocent. We might think that, but again, Scripture here is saying something completely different. David is saying that I was even conceived in sin, born in sin. Jonathan Edwards, uh, one, of the, uh, one, of the, sort of one of the great theologian in the early history of our country, would argue that well, if, if babies are born innocent, well, where's the other half of the perfect people? I mean, wouldn't it be 50-50? Why is it 100% of us all have committed sin and all have fallen against God? Why? Why have we all transgressed? And the issue is, is that because sin entered this world through that one man, Adam, and now we, we stand to reap the consequence of that. And, and so we are born into sin. We are born with that universal issue. But the great thing, the great thing about it is that's not where the story stops. So even though it might seem unfair right now, I'm telling you, by the end of it, you'll feel very different. So let's keep reading. In verse 15, it says this. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought what? Brought justification. Huh. This is where it gets good. You see, because you can say it's unfair, and you might think it's unfair. But the problem with that is this. If you say it's unfair, you're saying, God, I want you to judge me off of my own works. It's not fair. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. If I were there, I would have done differently. So, God, don't judge me based off of that. Judge me based off of my own works. And when you do that, what you are doing is you're essentially telling God, I don't need grace. I don't need grace. Don't judge me based off of the works that Christ did. Judge me based off of my own works. See what's happening? You can't have one without the other. So although in our human minds we're thinking, well, that's not fair, 
God is saying it's not so. Because when we get to the heart of the matter, we'll see exactly what happened to his son because of you and me. So verse 17, let's pick up there. Oh, let, me, let me stop. Let me say one more thing there. What, what really stood out to me was this. It says, for judgment following, um, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following what? Many trespasses. Let me just stop there. God didn't wait for humanity to become perfect to step in and do something. God didn't wait for the circumstances to get better to, to, to step out and do something about the issue. I mean, it says here that one trespass brought about death, but many trespasses. Thousands of years of disobedience, thousands of years of sin against God brought, brought forth justification. Now, let me just stop. Let me just say, say something. Many of us go through hard times in life. But too many times we sit and we sulk in our circumstances and we think that we're victims of our circumstances. And we've, we've got to stop sitting and, and, and not doing anything and we've got to start getting to work. We've got to start doing. If God is our example, we've got to do even in the midst of negative or bad circumstances or the circumstances that, that surround us. Too many times we think if only the circumstances would change, I could be this. The problem is, is you're not doing. And if you actually started stepping out to do something about it, your circumstances might change. But it's about doing something biblical and godly in the midst of the circumstances where God will be glorified through your life and other people will come to see the truth through your life and through your testimony. So don't wait for your circumstances to become perfect. That might not happen. In verse 17, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned, again, we see that word reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So here's my second point. When I receive the free gift of righteousness, I will reign through Christ in eternal life. When I receive the free gift of righteousness, I will reign through Christ in eternal life. In eternal life. You see, here's, here's the thing is, is when we read this, everyone in the room will shout, yes, that's awesome. But when we read about the consequence, everyone's like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't know. Not sure. But when we get here, we start seeing what God has done and just how amazing his love is for us. And his love is so amazing that he did send his son on the cross. And there was an impact for what Jesus did on the cross. And that impact is that, that uh, the righteousness of his life is available to everyone who would put their trust in him, who would believe in him. Isaiah 53, 11 says that he bore our iniquities on the cross and made us righteous. He's made you righteous. Even in the midst of your sin, in the midst of my sin, God came in his love and he made us righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, in, in one, in, it, with, with Adam, death and sin into the world and we're being reigned over we're being ruled by death and sin and now jesus steps in and not only are we transferred from that kingdom of death and sin but now we are transferred to rule in life with christ jesus to reign in eternal life with him and he's in forever i mean it, that's just amazing when you look at that but again you can't take one without the other because the truth is the problem the universal problem was sin the supernatural solution that we're looking at is the work of the cross. 
It's our justification by faith and the righteousness we receive from Christ. And that's what happens. And now we receive that and we get to live that out in eternity with him. And so, again, I'm hoping that by the time you walk out today, the, the, the statement or the, the argument of it's unfair will, won't be that big of an argument anymore. So how were we affected? Again, we were affected uh, by the work of Christ. We were affected because it allows us the opportunity to live a righteous life before our God, even though we're not righteous. And so that righteousness comes through one man. And we see that in this scripture, that through one man, that righteousness came. It wasn't because of me. It wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of anyone else. It was because of that one man. And here in this passage, that one man, scripture is talking about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pick up in verse 18. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. There it is again. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many, the many will be made righteous. All right, let's stop there. The many will be made righteous. What tense is that? Future tense. When Paul was writing that, Paul was talking in future tense. Who's in the future tense? We are. We are reaping the benefit of this principle that that in truth that Paul spoke about here in Romans. And not only that, church, let me just pause there to say, even moving forward, we're talking about a building, we're talking about expanding uh, the gospel here in Laredo. That's our opportunity. How many more here in Laredo need to hear the gospel? How many more here in Laredo need to see the truth of the, of the justification of this justification by faith in Christ Jesus? And we do that through our sacrifice. We do that through our giving. And some of us, we're, all of us, we're going to be challenged moving forward of what can we give? What can we do in order to make this possible? So that as this passage says, many will be made righteous. So that many will be made righteous in Laredo. Now verse 20, it says this, it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Again, Sin, uh, the law came in to magnify the sin, to reveal the sin in us. So the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Thank you, God. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus. Leading through, to eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we're looking at this, and we've gone through the book of Romans, and again, Paul was making a big, he was giving a huge effort to try to point out the fact that every single one of us is in need of a Savior. Paul was going through huge efforts to try to point us to that Savior, and he has, and he's told us about this justification by faith and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And again, I know that for, for some of us, we look at these passages and we say, well, we like everything it says about Jesus, but what about Adam? I still, I'm still wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with the fact that I'm being held accountable or that I'm, I'm reaping those consequences. I, that's just not easy for me to, 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 to accept. And it's not when it's talking about you. Because when we look at the cross, that's what we see. That, that's what happens. When we look at this cross and we see our Savior and we see that Jesus was willing to come into this world to live a perfect life, church. Obeyed the law completely so that you and I 
could have this righteousness. He lived it perfectly. For what? So that he could be hung on a cross and sacrificed? So that he could be beaten on, spat on? That he could be mocked? That he could be treated like a thief? Is that why our God came to this world? Is that why our God came and lived as a man? Tasted every temptation yet did not sin? Yet he hung on the cross. And he never once said it was not fair. He never once looked at the Father and said, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Why me? He never once looked back and said, stop. I'm not willing to go on. He never once did that. As a matter of fact, we see in Gethsemane that Jesus said, not, your will, not my will, but your will be done. When he was on the cross, when he was hanging, in the moment that if anyone should have said it, it should have been him. He didn't say it's unfair. He looked out and he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. Yet he never said, church, that it was unfair. He never said, stop. He never said this was enough. He continued, he continued, he continued until the will of the Father was complete. In his death, burial, and resurrection, it was done in his sinless righteousness. And now we stand to reap that. He never said, stop. He never threw the towel in. He never put his hands up. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why am I being not just accused, but why am I being mistreated? Why am I paying the consequence for them? Jesus did what he did so that you and I could come to experience the love of the Father. This was a love that Jesus had experienced for eternity, being in eternal relationship with his dad, with his father. And he goes to these great lengths so that you and I could have a relationship with him, so that we could know this love. I love the way Isaiah puts it in chapter 53. This is what he says. He was looking forward to that moment. Isaiah was looking forward to this moment. And this is what he wrote about it. He said, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of, a, out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
I'm going to keep reading. Verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, he considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken from transgression, for the transgression of many people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had, not, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. That will, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his, in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. What greater example do we need than that of our Savior? What greater example do we need of someone who was treated unfairly, yet didn't throw the unfair card out there, but said, God, let your will, not my will, be done? You know what? You're right. The gospel isn't fair. And this passage isn't fair. But it's, it's one-sided. It's not that it's unfair to us. It's unfair to him. He didn't deserve what he got. We deserved it, yet he took it for us. We all would like to stand before God and say, with my own works, judge me on my own works, but we will all fail. But when we look to him and we put our trust in him, now his works of righteousness are counted to me and you. And so when the father looks on us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the work of his son. And how much more could we do as his people? And you think about these truths at home, at work, and how many times do we say it's unfair? How many times do we say it's not right? How many times do we act unjustly? Or how many times do we act in an evil manner, in a sinful way, because we feel it's unfair? That instead of saying it's unfair, we could... We could love on people as Christ did. Forgive them for they don't know what they do. They have no idea. And we can love on others as well. And we can do these things. Just as, just as God loved on us, we could love on them. And we look at these truths and we see Adam and, and we see the, the effect that, that his sin and his actions had on you and me. What actions are you committing right now that are having a negative consequence on those that are around you? If you're a father, if you're a mother, a husband, and a wife, the, the, the leader in a, in a business or a business owner, a manager, CEO, whatever it is that you're doing, you have an opportunity every single day to make a decision that will impact people in a good way and impact people in a bad way. How are you handling those decisions? 
Are you spending time in the word? Are you, are you surrounding yourself with the church to hold you accountable, to learn, to grow, and to make the decisions that will bring about the right, right rewards and not the negative rewards? Because it happens all the time. Some of you are, are victims of, of decisions people made two generations before you, a generation before you, but you're living in those, with, with those consequences. So moving forward, what are we doing about that? So we challenge ourselves every single day to say, God, teach me, lead me, help me grow. To seek wisdom in the counsel of many and, and ask the Spirit of God to lead your way. And as a church, let's just hang on that, on that scripture, on that passage that says, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If we could live out this truth, if we could live out in the love of God, if we could live out in this, in this gift that is his righteousness and justification, and, and if we can push forward as a church, if we could sacrifice just a little bit, we could make enough space to double the amount of people we reach on a Sunday. We could reach more people throughout our community. If, if we were to reach some of these goals and sacrifice and allow this place to be a Spanish-speaking congregation for this part of Laredo, how much more? What can we do for the many that are still yet to come to the gospel? Future tense. So let's give thanks to God for his love. Let's give thanks to God. That church in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our death, he found us with life, love, and the righteousness of his son Jesus. Now we can live assured of this eternal life.